Chapter Twenty Two of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two The Last Dollar. The rest of two days for her hands permitted Hilda to recommence work upon Monday with little inconvenience but what she had suffered upon the first day. With every day after that, she found herself getting more accustomed to the necessary exertion, and proudly said to Mabel, she believed her hands were growing larger and stronger, and would, by and by, be all she wished them. One morning, not more than three hours after leaving home, she suddenly presented herself before Mabel again, her left hand wrapped in bandages, and a look of intense distress upon her countenance. Home so soon, Hilda? exclaimed Mabel, and hurt, I fear, my poor sister. Yes, hurt again, Mabel. With her free hand, Hilda pulled off and threw aside her hat in the impatient way she was apt to do when out of spirits and out of humor. One of those great, spiky, three-sided needles ran into my palm and made such a dreadful hurt I nearly fainted, she continued. Debbie Curtis was so kind, but then she always is. She stopped her own work and took me round to a doctor, and he dressed it for me. He says it's a serious hurt, and he can't say yet exactly how bad it will be, and that I must keep it quiet as possible and come to him every morning to have it looked to. It hurts me so you can't think, Mabel, and yet it has a strange numb feeling, too. I am sorry for you, my poor sister. It must indeed be very painful. Oh, I'm not thinking about the hurt a bit, quickly rejoined Hilda. It's the loss of time and money goes so hard with me. I've been earning a mere drop in the bucket anyway, and now I'm forced to give up that little help to you. I've got sixty cents somewhere in my pocket, she added, fumbling for it. And that's the last, maybe, I shall be able to earn for a week or more. There it is, laying the money on the sewing machine before her sister. If it were sixty dollars, Mabel, I'd be the happiest girl this day in Chicago. But it's only a mean sixty cents, and I'm... I'm the most miserable. Thank you, dear Hilda, kindly said Mabel, as she took up the money. Sixty cents is a good deal to us, you know, much more than sixty dollars to many another. And what, after all, is sixty dollars, or sixty dollars sixty times told, to what is really ours, if we could get it? Suddenly exclaimed Hilda. If justice were justice and right right, there'd be no need for your toiling this day, Mabel, or for poor little Lily being kept, to her injury, in this neighborhood of stagnant ponds and pigsties. Mabel gave a glance to the bed where her little patient lay under partial effect of morphine, then a cautioning look at Hilda. "'Don't let us trouble ourselves about justice or right, Hilda,' she said. "'The law gives us no more than we have, and we must be content.' "'You think I mean the business of the endorsement,' hastily rejoined Hilda. "'But you don't know. I meant—' She paused a moment, then added in a different tone. "'Well, anyway—' We didn't make the law any more than we did people's notions of justice and right, and we can't change one or the other. But I have news for you, Mabel. Something we haven't looked for. Bad news, of course. 
I never have any other sort. Debbie Curtis is going to leave Chicago, going to live with her aunt in St. Louis. Mabel expressed her regret. Yes, tomorrow's her last day in the sail loft, continued Hilda. A sister of her aunt has died in St. Louis, and the husband wants someone to look after the house and children and to help in his dry goods store. Debbie and her aunt will take charge of all between them. It's a good thing for Debbie, for she's almost worked to death at bars, but a mighty bad thing for me. It's nothing but Debbie has kept up my spirits at that horrid sail loft, and I don't know what I shall do without her. Be self-reliant, Hilda. You know you made strong resolutions on this point some time since. The hurt turned out a very ugly affair, and gave no promise of permitting Hilda very soon to return to her work. She made herself useful in such ways as she could to Mabel, but with the use of one hand only, her services were not of the sort to reconcile her to the temporary abandonment of her sewing. Had Mabel been able to procure as many vests as she now found time to make, she would have been less anxious concerning the future. But though Hilda exerted herself to the utmost to keep her in a good supply, she frequently had to give her time and labor to work which did not compensate her so well. One certain fact was ever before Mabel. Money, at times, went out so much faster than it came in, that there was prospect of her being, before a very great while, reduced to that dreaded last dollar of which Hilda talked so much. Still her heart clung, in its strong faith, to a hope of better things for them, and many were the fervid prayers she sent up to him whose ear is never closed to the cry of the orphan and friendless. One thing only had power to move the devoted girl from the steady, though subdued cheerfulness which was her customary tone, and this was the suffering of her little Lily. The poor child's spells of pain had not only increased in violence, but were more frequent and of longer duration. It was plain to be seen, too, that her frame, enfeebled by disease, was daily becoming less able to bear up under the exhausting effect of suffering. There were seasons when Hilda did not need to be reminded by a glance or a word that it was no time for repining or impatience, or for that free expression of foreboding fears, in which she not unfrequently indulged. Past and future must needs be forgotten in the present, when the delicate form of the scarcely more than infant sister writhed on its bed of agony, and when the pale lips sent forth cries for that relief that the loving ones could not give. One afternoon, Hilda returned dispirited from a search after work for Mabel. I am sorry you could get nothing but these shirts, Mabel said. A good supply of vests, like that of two weeks since, would have kept off some difficulties which are on us now. Her tone was one that Hilda seldom heard from her, and a look in her face proved that she had been weeping. I see, I know it all, replied Hilda. You have come to the last dollar, at last, Mabel, and we are beggars. Oh, poor, poor Lily! Thank God, not beggars, Hilda, but I have indeed come to the last dollar so long talked of. Indeed, the one I have remaining is due our grocer and baker, and we are again without tea and sugar for Lily, and bread for us all. Poor Lily's medicines are nearly exhausted, too. 
and this terrible cold has been so expensive on fires that a new supply of coal will be needed in a few days. In another week, our third month's rent falls due, as you know, and that is a matter that admits of no delay. Hilda was looking very pale. And you have but one dollar, Mabel. Only one dollar. And you have seen it coming to this, Mabel, and you wouldn't even talk about it. You wouldn't let me know how near it was. And why should I? Would it have done you any good to know how near it was, my sister? But now has come the time to act, and that is why I speak to you. How act, Mabel? What can you do? I will get money on the watch, Hilda. Yes, yes, the thing that poor Minnie saved us from months ago. Oh, but how dreadful to have to sell it. I shall not sell it, Hilda, though that, too, might have become a very possible thing with us. I only propose to get some money by putting it in pawn. Hilda's ideas of putting in pawn were very vague, and it is likely Mabel's were scarcely less so. But it was a plan the latter had long thought of, and that she saw was now the only one to get her through her difficulty. Pawning is a very different thing from selling, of course, Mabel, said Hilda, looking considerably encouraged. If a thing's sold, you can never get it again, while if it's only pawned, why, if only pawned, it can at any time be redeemed. I'm grieved to have to do this, Hilda. I feel no better reconciled to it for all these months I've been thinking of it. But how much worse it would be to have to part with the watch altogether. I shall put on my things and go about it at once. The hat and cloak were soon put on, and then Mabel took from its place above Lily's pillow, being careful not to attract the attention of the child, the valued watch, and carefully wrapping it up, deposited it in a small box. She looked so composed as she did this, that anyone might have believed it was a matter in which she felt but ordinary concern. But Hilda knew better, and as she looked from the pale cheek of her sister to the little box she still held uncovered in her hand, she felt no less for her than for herself. Lifting the watch from the box, as Mabel was about to put on the cover, Hilda pressed it to her lips and then burst into tears. Don't take it so hard, my sister, whispered Mabel, in a voice scarcely so calm as her looks. We shall see it again, you know. We shall have it our own again. But when? Oh, Mabel, if I could only bear up under things as you do. She returned the watch to the box, and Mabel presently covered it from view. Lily is so nearly sleeping, said the latter after a look at the still form of the child, that if you are perfectly quiet, she will not be roused before I get back. I shall bring with me the medicine, for she will need it through the night. Denying herself the gratification of a kiss for fear of waking her, Mabel left the room for her visit to the pawnbrokers. End of chapter 22